0: Welcome to Risk Watch, a podcast brought to you by v Global that sheds light on emerging compliance and due diligence issues affecting private market investors, financial institutions, and global corporations. I'm your host, Alex Soren. On this episode of the podcast, I spoke with Carrie Leroy and Charles Walker of the law firm Gibson Dunn. Kerry's a partner at the firm and advises clients on intellectual property, technology, and sourcing transactions, among other areas of expertise. And Charles is a partner at the firm who regularly counsels publicly traded and emerging growth technology companies in complex mergers and acquisitions. In our discussion, we talked about the potential pitfalls that exist for technology acquisitions, from intellectual property ownership to cybersecurity, to bribery and corruption risk from third parties. You can find a link in the show notes to thought leadership that Carrie and Charles have written on this topic, as well as links to their bios on the Gibson Dunn website to get in touch. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, we're live. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's great. So you all recently published a bulletin on your site where you laid out some tech-specific diligence concerns. When it comes to acquisitions. So, from your experience, how damaging have you seen it be for tech companies to overlook the legal due diligence process? And how easily could some of those issues have been avoided if that hadn't happened?
1: Yeah. So, speaking from experience, I mean, we've gotten to the point where our clients have invested a lot of time and money in uh, diligencing and negotiating deals. Only for within you know a week or two prior to signing those deals to fall through based on technology based issues that that arose and ultimately were were insurmountable.
2: Yeah, and I would say on that topic as well that understanding in advance what the issues are is really helpful to the process. So in order to avoid those sort of major issues, say post signing or worse post closing, is to make sure your process focuses on and surfaces the key items that need to be looked at so that you're not sort of spinning your wheels and looking at things that are relatively immaterial.
0: So let's start with the first item that you all lay out, ownership of intellectual property. How important is it to not only confirm that the target owns the IP that it claims to own, but then to go deeper beneath the surface into related risks like former employees who may still own a piece of the IP or you know maybe that IP is developed or licensed by third parties overseas?
2: Yeah, it's incredibly important, and I would say, probably from an IP perspective, the most important item to diligence to make sure that the company has all of the rights. In Silicon Valley, where I practice, founders are notorious for not actually assigning their rights to the companies. They are often very inventive folks who have lots of different side projects. So really making sure that everyone who touched any of the intellectual property that's potentially material to the target has effectively assigned all of the rights to the target is important, and we would look at things like the inventions assignment agreement, consulting services agreement agreements. If the target is doing software development or other type of IP development for third parties, who owns the results of that, and is it used in the business? Again, we're looking at this high level from a freedom to operate standpoint to make sure that The target has all of the rights it needs to continue to conduct its business post-closing. So I would say this is probably item number one in terms of materiality from an IP due diligence standpoint.
1: I would agree with that, and I would add one issue that we've been seeing much more frequently as of late is founders who are also professors at universities And oftentimes, while the universities are are generally friendly towards the idea of their professors founding companies on, on their spare time, it's really important to make sure that those companies that are founded by these professors own all of the intellectual property rights to the work that has been done at those companies. Oftentimes, universities' policies will have buried within their terms and conditions clauses that give the university certain rights to that intellectual property, and we want to make sure that's dealt with upfront, well before uh, we get to any closing of a transaction.
0: Mm -hmm. So understanding that the diligence process contains a lot of different components, right? It contains legal due diligence, it contains cyber due diligence, financial, the reputational investigative due diligence piece, and they all kind of feed one another. So I wanted to ask how critical it is when in the background check or reputational diligence portion of things, you identify... You know, intellectual property related litigation, you know, maybe at the federal level, that could really just be the tip of the iceberg on something that's a much, much deeper issue.
2: Yeah. So we would always look at litigation. That's probably also up there with IP ownership in terms of looking at potential claims, threatened, not just filed litigation, but threatened claims as well. Mm -hmm. We see very often companies that will say, well, we haven't actually been involved in IP litigation, but maybe they received IP. Litigation threat letters that are these days in the form of a request for an IP license to certain patents. Those are usually from non-practicing entities. Mm -hmm. And all of this, and you mentioned sort of the different ways of looking at all of this, whether it is reputational harm or that kind of thing. I think that all of it is important to look at as part of the legal due diligence because when you're talking to, for example, the CTO of a company, and you ask the question, what did you do in response to to hearing from XYZ company when they suggested that you needed a patent license to continue your business? And the answer is, well, we just didn't pay attention to that or we didn't take it seriously. That's a concern, right? So it's important to just understand the practices of the company that relate to its reputation. The same on the outbound side. How many deals have you done? with third parties where you're promising certain development or features or functionality, maybe exclusivity, that kind of thing, where you're maybe offering things that you've already given to other third parties and that kind of thing. So the legal risks, I think, also relate to the reputation of the company, how it conducts its business, what it's known for. And then I think also that also ties in as well to technical due diligence, right? Just understanding do you know what's, for example, for software company targets? Do you understand what's in your code base? How do you monitor and control that? And just hearing the response to that is very important and informative, a lot, just in terms of understanding how carefully the folks on the engineering side pay attention to compliance. They're not right. unrelated.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, further to your question on, how helpful background checks can be here you know oftentimes our clients are acquiring companies from founders where this may be the founders you know second third or fourth business venture certainly to the extent those founders have, have found themselves in disputes before whether accusations of infringement of third party intellectual property or disputes with you know prior partners as to who owns certain intellectual property rights those types of uh, the issues that can surface in background checks can give us a good understanding of perhaps where to look in this transaction and give us some insight as to what stones we may want to make sure we turn over as part of the diligence process.
0: Right, and so on that point, and also carried to, to what you said, you know, I'm interested to hear when you do get those kind of answers from from founders, how much of the diligence process on your end is informed by your own instincts and experience and understanding? Okay that's not really the answer I was expecting to hear. So now we're going to have to do XYZ versus more of like a standard process and checklist that you guys always have.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is why I would say that both Chuck and I do a lot of MA. And it's great because we have a standard set of requests and we are used to hearing certain responses. So if you're asking, for example, the top engineer at the company, how do you monitor and control for something like open source? And the answer is, What do you mean by open source? (laughs) We would flag that as a problem. You know, like, how are you controlling for that? And the answer is, well, we don't. We do expect certain internal controls, and this is the type of thing that we would flag. It's not necessarily something that would kill the deal entirely, but it would inform our analysis of that question of what is the reputation of the company? Does the valuation make sense given its practices? And this is why we also, you know, get me up on a soapbox, but we talk to emerging companies as well about how to get their ducks in a row to make sure that when they're thinking about an exit, everything sort of checks out and looks like what we would expect to see. You are making sure that you understand what's in your code base so that there won't be any issues. So the response, if we identify certain issues on that front, is always to come up with some sort of approach to remediation. What is it that we would expect them to do to bring their current practice into what we think of as more standard market practices? So again, it may not kill the deal entirely, but we may certainly want to flag issues as being the subject of potential remediation either prior to or post-closing.
0: Mm-hmm. So I found the cybersecurity portion of the, the report in the bulletin to be obviously very relevant to the risk landscape that companies of all sizes are, are facing today. Can you talk a bit about you know how critical it is in MA in your practices today on in terms of just not taking what companies say at face value when it comes to cybersecurity.
1: Yeah, I think as you highlighted cybersecurity is definitely top of mind for all of our clients these days and you know frankly I think one of the worst situations you could be in would be to close an acquisition and then find out that the company you had acquired had a data breach that occurred before before you own them, and now you are left struggling to clean up that mess. And so <laughs> it really informs when we talk to our clients as they're looking at acquiring these companies, understanding you know, where the potential issues may lie, identifying what type of data the target companies are collecting, and then what measures those targets are going through to ensure that data is safely stored and protected. Oftentimes, These target companies will regularly perform what's called a penetration test, which is a third party consulting firm coming in and checking out the cybersecurity of these targets. But it's really important that even if a target company does not or has not had one of these penetration tests that. You know, we push and we have our clients push on these targets to go get one done while we're still in the diligence process. I think it's really important as far as flagging where potential vulnerabilities may be and then understanding what can be done to remedy those issues.
2: And also, I'll just say from a diligence perspective, we are increasingly focusing on security audits. So this is something that has, in light of all of the recent cyber attacks and whatnot, Not just saying, hey, do you have security protocols in place, but actually looking at the audits. And if we see something in the audits of, say, quarterly audits for a target company that was a potential security issue, we will always ask the question, how did you address that? What was the remediation? And if we find that there's some deficiency there, we may also recommend remediation, either again, post-signing or Mm post-closing.
0: So the last item I I want us to touch on um, before we wrap up is trade compliance and anti-corruption. Why would it be a mistake in thinking that tech isn't a high-risk industry when it comes to corruption and bribery risk?
1: These days in particular, oftentimes even smaller technology companies have global customers, right? international in scope. And it's very important to understand what those international business practices are and, and what those... How those companies are engaging in, in those practices. Oftentimes, companies, emerging growth companies in particular, will hire or engage, you know, distributors to help them sell their products globally, to help them market their products globally, and may not have done a deep dive or done deep diligence into how those distributors operate. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's very important for our clients who face, you know, heightened scrutiny when when it comes to these issues to understand what the target's practices have been, what distributors or other third-party providers they're using, and really dig in there ahead of the closing any acquisition to understand where the potential skeletons may lie.
0: So on, on that topic too, one thing we've talked about on this podcast a couple of times is foreign direct investment and, outbound, and the potential for outbound investment screening when it comes to national security and economic competitive risk. How top of mind is that for you all in when you're looking at Tech transactions, you know, to make sure that the target that may be acquired isn't indirectly owned by by a government entity or politically exposed people, or maybe a target that's going to be acquired. Making sure that it's its actual technology is doing what it's saying it's doing, and and isn't doing something that's contrary to U.S. national security and, and values.
1: Yeah, so really, kind of two issues you flagged there. Pretty routinely at the at the start of the diligence process, we will ask for the the target's company capitalization table to understand who its owners are. And to the extent that raises any questions or flags, oftentimes we may have to look through certain entities and understand who owns the owners. right? So, so that's always kind of top of mind and one of the first things we look at to, again, make sure there are none of the issues that you raised, or if that might be an issue, give us the opportunity at the outside of transaction to understand how best to deal with mm-hmm. The second piece of your question there, understanding what it is that the technology that you're acquiring does or or what it can be used for, that is a an issue that we have to deal with hand in hand with our clients, with their technical teams, understanding, looking at the products and the technology to understand exactly what the scope is and how it can be used. Does it include, you know, particular encryption uh, applications that may have other uses that uh, can raise issues particularly if you are distributing to customers on a on a global basis.
0: Mm-hmm. So going back to the anti-corruption question and also the the cybersecurity issue. You know, if a company has run afoul of an anti-bribery convention in the past or if a company has been subject to a major cybersecurity incident in the past and the company comes forward and and comes forward with that information up front, you know, before the transaction occurs. mentioned to know how big of an issue those are in today's age in terms of torpedoing a deal or if they've taken proper remediation efforts if that really is does go a long way.
1: To the extent a target will come forward and be forthright up front of we had this issue, we identified it, here are the steps we took to remediate it, here are the, you know, policies and procedures we've put in place to make sure it doesn't happen again those communications can be very helpful in essentially saving a deal whereas if the buyer finds out about one of those issues at the 11th hour it really breeds a lot of distrust makes you question whether you can trust anything else that you've heard during the diligence process and will tend to put the the entire process on pause so i would highly recommend to you know, those out there that are looking at being acquired if you've had an issue in the past it often is not fatal provided You've been forthright and you've taken the steps to address it. For instance, on the cybersecurity issue, we talked about targets getting penetration tests done. Those tests often come with a a report, which will highlight kind of your most material, you know, high risk, medium risk, low risk items. You know, it is then incumbent on the, the target to set forth what have we done to remediate those issues that are flagged. Here's how we handled it. And you know, the more that they can invite in the technical folks from our clients to come in and actually look at what was done to remediate those issues to make sure they, they don't occur again, gives our client a lot of comfort knowing that they can move forward with a transaction with with that target. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I agree with Chuck. I just want to add one point to this is that companies looking to be acquired really should be thinking about this in terms of valuation, right? Because all of this, when it comes to, you know, the question of compliance, whether it's, you know, security, ensuring that you're properly collecting and complying with privacy laws, collecting data and complying with privacy, all of these are potential non-issues until there is an issue, right? Until there's some sort of breach or some, and being forthright about it, to Chuck's point, is really important but also demonstrating that you're committed to compliance. There is valuation tied to that in general. So being able to answer the question, do I have policies and procedures around all of this? If there have been issues in the past, how have I dealt with those issues to ensure that they won't happen again? These are all things that, again, maybe the deal isn't going to crater entirely, but it's going to hit valuation.
0: Well, look, I appreciate both of you coming on the show to to discuss this. For anyone interested in getting in touch your bios will be in the show notes as well as a link to the bulletin on your website. And um, thanks again, and, and it was a great discussion. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you.